We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. All right, well, let's open up our Bibles today to 1 John chapter 4. As we continue our journey through this letter that um, you might consider to be repetitive. But it's repetitive, yeah, maybe for a reason. And that is because I don't know about you, but a lot of times us knuckleheads, we don't get it, you know. Imagine if God said, you know, love me and love others only one time. Um, We'd probably read it and not heed it. But then when he says it over and over and over and over again, you know, make sure you're a Christian. I don't care how many times you go to church. You know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac, right? Are you really a Christian? Do you really know the Lord? When you die, are you going to heaven? A lot of people, I have a feeling, are going to be very, very surprised because they're religious. But they didn't really have a relationship with the Lord. They were religious, but here it is. They did not repent of their sins. And I see it. And I wonder sometimes, Lord, does that person really know you? Because they come to church, but they won't stop their sin. You know, we have to really search our hearts. I think in going through 1 John, he wants to challenge us. Do you really have life? And he wants to challenge us, do you really have love? Because love proves life. And by the way, love is loving God, loving others. That's really the command that's really top on God's list. And so we're going to go today. We're going to see a lot here. I can't organize it. I'm sorry. I tried, but I am just not smart enough, man. You know, and that's hard for me. You guys pray for me because I'm one of those guys that when you open up the cabinets, all the labels have to be facing at a certain direction. And you go to my desk and all my papers have to be lined up at 90 degrees, stuff like that, you know. And and so going through this is hard for me, but I just figure, you know what, we're just going to go through and try to take it at face value. Look what he says, first of all, in verse 12. He says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Here John tells us that no one has seen God at any time. Now, in reading that, you might wonder, wait a minute, time out, Manny. I mean, aren't there like many times in the Bible where people have seen God, people like Moses, people like Isaiah, um, people like uh, Jacob, he wrestled with God and he called that name, that place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face, and, and Gideon and others. How can he say that no one has ever seen God? And, and what we find is when we read the Bible is that no one has seen God on this, time, uh, on this side of time in his fullness. That's what he's really saying. If you study Exodus 33, 20 through 23, you'll find that God said to Moses, none of you can see my face in my fullness. None of you can see my glory in its completeness. And so what I'll do, remember the story? He told Moses, I'll tuck you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by. I'll kind of cover you with my hand. And then when I pass by, you'll be able to see my afterglow. You'll kind of see like the, the backside. And so, you know, we find even Moses, the man who met with God face to face, he, even he did not see 
God in his fullness, God in his complete glory. That doesn't happen on this side of time. But, you guys, the cool thing is one day we will see God. And that's going to be an amazing thing. We read in Job 19, verse 25 and 26, Job said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. And so it's a cool thing to look forward to. Jesus even said in Matthew 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you guys ever look forward to that day? Oh, man, it's going to be amazing when we see God. When we receive our glorified bodies, we'll then have the capacity to see God in His fullness and His glory when we're in glory. As a matter of fact, we read that back in chapter 3. Look, if you would, at chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God and has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. You see, we're going to see him literally as he really is. And so, you know, John, he starts off in a pretty interesting way. No one's ever seen God. No one's ever seen God. What he means is no one on this side of time has ever seen God in his fullness. We know one day that we're going to see God, so I want you guys to know that. But the question is, why did John even write that? And we know the answer is this. Having said all that, that the, the, the truth is, in a real and roundabout sense, there is another way to see God. There is another way to see God. I don't know if you guys knew this or not. There is another way to see God, and that is through the lives of the people of God. And this is the direction that John wants to now take us in his teaching. As a matter of fact, if you have... And NLT, it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And I think that sometimes we might forget this. And so John, he writes to inform us. You see, just as we can share God's word to others and they can hear God's voice, so we can do good for the right reason to others and they can experience God's love when the people of God walk and talk with the heartbeat of God, then the world will actually, in a roundabout sense and yet in a real sense, they will see God. That's why Warren Risby said, our love for others makes God's love real and visible to them. You know how it is when you see the features of a parent in the in the child, and, and you might even say to them, boy, I can sure see, you know, your father in you or, or his mom in her. You know, this is exactly how it works. This is what Jesus did. We read in John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. He has revealed him. He has manifested God to us. So much so that in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. We saw the glory of God, even in the veiled incarnation of Jesus Christ. And just as it works in Jesus, so it is supposed to work in us. And when you think about that, you guys, I just think, you know, it really hit me hard, you know, because... 
What an amazing concept. What an amazing statement this is. How life-changing it would be if someone sees God. When someone sees God, I mean, doesn't it change their life? And, you know, I know sometimes I'm talking with the Lord, and I'll say, Lord, I would love to see you. You know, and I'll be in the garage, and I'll be talking to God, and I say, God, I promise I won't write a book about it. You know, I won't, you know, do a blog or even do a message about it. Just let me see you, you know, because I know I'm one of his favorites, right? And so uh, <laughs> I just figured, Lord, you know, it's happened. And, and, you know, imagine what it would be like to see God, you know? How many people, you know, want to see God? How many people out there who are in the world? Now think about this. When you're witnessing to people and you're talking to people and they'll tell you this, they'll say, you know what, unless I see God, I won't believe in him. And our response right away usually is, well, that's not the way it works. Are you sure? Are you sure that maybe they are, are not called to seek God through you? Now, I'm not saying you're God. Don't get me wrong. Don't get weird, okay? <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, man. When you share his word and they hear his voice and you live the life and you do good for the right reasons and they see, they experience the love of God. See, that's what John is trying to share at this point. When you walk like God, when you talk like God, when you love like God, then you look like God. And in a roundabout, very real way, they will see God through you. You see, John here is challenging us and he's encouraging us to love others simply by allowing God's love to be perfected in us. Again, notice what he says in verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. And that's what we want to happen. You know, the, the Greek word translated perfected, it means to make complete, reach a certain goal, to make a certain end. You see, God loves us, you guys. And, and when we believe and receive his love and then go and grow and then allow his love to flow out towards others, then we become lovers and his love is perfected in us and we are matured and then God will do amazing works through Christians like that, through those who really reach that place of maturity in the love and heart of God. Of course, we're not going to be able to do this on our own strength. And so we read in verse 13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. By this we know we're Christians, synonymous with the phrase, God lives in you, you live in God. By this we know we're Christians, he says, by the fact that he's given us his Holy Spirit, to live within us. Or as one translation puts it, God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Now we saw something similar, if you remember back in John 3, verse 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. See, when you become a Christian, you're going to know it due to the fact that God lives in you by his Holy Spirit. You guys know John 3.16, right? Everybody does. Do you know 1 Corinthians 3.16? Well, the Bible says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 
And that's important for us to know because, you know, I pray that we would not lower the bar. I pray that we would not get entangled in the affairs of this life. That we would not live a simple, normal life. But we would live radical lives. That we would live supernatural lives. Because that's what God has called us to live, this life of love that will change the world. You know, and you know, you may think, well, that's so difficult, Manny, because you don't know my, you know, wife, or you don't know my, my husband, or you don't know my kids, or you don't know my boss, or you don't know my next door neighbor, you know, and you don't know me. And true, I don't know any of them or you, but I do know God. And if God lives in you, then it's just not too difficult. I don't care who you are, I don't care how you were raised. Oh, no one ever told us that they loved us. You don't know my upbringing. You know what? I'm sorry to hear that. But God lives in you. Therefore, you have the capacity, you have everything you need to love just like He loved, whoever it is and whatever the situation. And it could be so so many things. It could be very simple things. This morning, you know, I I was... uh, I woke up, and you know, I know certain temptations that I have. Uh, for example, I know, like, I got to do a study today, and so I'm, you know, pressed for time, got to get ready. And then, you know, just things are asked of me to be done. That's just, I'm going to tell you guys the way it is. And so I know that I can get like a short fuge at that time. So I got to do this and got to do that. And everybody's in a hurry sometimes on Sunday mornings. And so I just said to the Lord, I said, Lord, you know who I am. And God, I do know this, that the enemy is going to try to make me stumble right here. But Lord, I need to say this to you, that I am no match for the devil. I am no match for the devil. But the devil is no match for you. The devil's no match for you, God. So help me to face this temptation, even though this is a small one, victoriously. Because what battle can I win apart from the Lord? And sometimes it's those little things that lead to the bigger things, right? And so when the Lord says, hey, I want you to love because I want them to see God, and you're like, well, that's so difficult. And God says, well, I live in you. And you see, when we begin to put things together, we see, you know what? This is not as hard as maybe we thought. You know, by this we know we're Christians. We know that God lives in us, and, you know, we live in Him, and we have the Holy Spirit. And John mentions this at this point, number one, because he wants us to love like God, and that is possible because love is the fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5.22, and number two, because he wants us to live. He wants us to live like God. And here it is. If we're not loving, or if we're not sure whether or not the Spirit lives in us, then we don't live. And you need to examine your life. How is your life? If I could, you know, nowadays it's kind of crazy. You guys know there are cameras everywhere, right? Big Brother is always watching you guys. And that's not a good thing. But, I mean, mean, you know, if I was to put a camera... Uh, in your house I mean not that I'm trying to be weird or I'm not trying to investigate who cares what I think but you know I think we try to hide and God sees and, and sometimes I think we even deceive ourselves and there are some people who go to church every single Sunday and they do not have the love of God they're Pharisees just like Jesus said I know you you don't have the love of God you're judgmental you look down on people who do you think you are apart from me 
God knows. And all, all, all John is saying is that, you know, when you don't got love, you don't got life. I don't care how many times you go to church or I don't care how many Bible verses you know or you teach. If you don't have love, you don't have life. And so you really have to search your heart. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, you examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. I know how important this is. John writes this because he wants the Christians to have love and he wants the non-Christians to have life. And there needs to be the fruit of the Spirit. There needs to be that root of righteousness and so let's just say you're here today and you're like well i'm not sure if i'm a christian I, i'm not 100 percent sure what do i need to do well let's look at a few things beginning in verse 14 it says and we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son as savior of the world whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god abides in him and he in god John says, we've seen it. I'm telling you, man, this is, you know, eyewitness testimony, probably speaking of the apostolic testimony, men like James and John, Peter and Paul, called and commissioned, eyewitnesses to the life and death and words and works of Jesus Christ. What we're studying today is not some fable. That's what Peter said. This is not something made up. This is not a fairy tale. This is not Walt Disney. This is historical testimony. We are eyewitnesses, James and John and Peter and Paul and the apostles in 1 Corinthians 15, the 500 who saw him at one time. He says, we are eyewitnesses. We're writing to you what we've seen. And this is what we've seen. That the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You know, and, and it's so cool when you, when you read that. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send some other created being. You know, the Father sent his Son, his one and only Son, whom he loved. And he didn't send him here on vacation. Hey, son, why don't you go down to planet Earth and take a little R&R, &R, you know? He's not here on vacation. He wasn't here for a visitation. He wasn't even here really for an explanation. Jesus came. The Father sent the Son for salvation, right? And that means ultimately and primarily he sent his Son to die for our sins on the cross of Calvary, thereby earning the title as the Savior of the world. You know, we read that earlier in 1 John chapter 2. Look what it says in verse 2. And he himself, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And so that means you. That means them. That means that individual who you can't stand. God wants to work in their life. That means everyone and anyone who will come, none are too far, none are too bad, none are beyond God's reach, which is so important for us to know. We have to have eyes to evangelize. We want the whole wide world to be saved. And we've got to be careful. Thank God for our Christian cubbyhole because we get to go in and take care of our family and draw from the living waters that God gives to us. But don't just stay within your Christian cubbyhole. Go out and be light in the darkness. Go out and be salt in the earth. Go out and be fishers of men. Because the Son of Man came to seek and save. He was on a journey. Those who are lost. He's the Savior of the world. None are too bad. 
You know, that's why in John chapter 4, Jesus needed to go through Samaria. If you remember, the Bible says he needed to go through there. Why? Well, because there was a lady there who unfortunately was caught up in relationships. She had been married five times. She was shacking up with the guy that she was now with. And the Lord said, I need to go through Samaria. The crazy thing about it is when you study the background, you find that the Jews and the Samaritans, they despised each other. They didn't need with each other. They said, you know what? Uh, those people, they can, they can burn, man. They were created to fuel the fires of hell. I don't really have any interest in them. They hated each other. They hated each other. But God said, I need to go through Samaria. And so he goes through Samaria. He's tired because he's been walking. It's a hot noonday. He sits by the well. His apostles go and get food. And then a woman comes, right? And she's a Samaritan. Uh, she's ostracized by the entire community because everyone sees her as a sinner, right? And so what ends up happening is Jesus begins to talk to her. And, you know, here you have a Jew talking to a Samaritan. Here you have a man talking to a girl, a rabbi talking to a girl. He's breaking all the human boundaries that we normally set up because he wants to save her. And he reaches out to her and he tells her, Sweetheart, in essence, I know you're trying to fill the void within you through this relationship, after relationship, after relationship. And you're trying to, you know, fill that heart with what your concept is of love. But I want you to know this, Jesus said, that, that I'm the only one. And if you only knew, if you only knew, you would ask me, and I would give to you living water. Living water so that you'll, you'll never thirst again. You see, and in looking at that right there, there's so much packed into that statement. But I'll tell you what, you know, I thank God when... When you see couples get together, you know, you see single guys and single girls, they love the Lord, they're Christians, and they meet the right person, and it's so cool, you know, um, when even, uh, you know, they, uh, they're made for each other. I think of it that way. They get married, and it's so cool. But even in the best case scenario, which is something we don't normally see, but even in the best case scenario, do you know that that person will not satisfy you? Do you realize that? And sometimes even in marriages, that's the reason that you're struggling so much is because you are looking to your spouse to satisfy you. And only one can satisfy you is God. And until you look to the Lord, man, until you look to the Lord to satisfy you, so that you can be a right-on Christian, because you're not, then the Lord will do work in your marriage. I mean, it can be in marriage, it can be in relationships, it can be in friendships. I do know this, that the Lord went to Samaria. Some would consider them to be the worst. And God says, they're not too bad for me. Maybe you're here today and you've done you know, prison time. Maybe you're here today and you have a tattoo. I'm just joking. Now, all the parents know that Christian tattoos are okay, right? I'm just joking. I know you guys struggle with that. You're like, Manny, don't talk about that. You know, you can be here today, and I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what your sin is. 
I want you to know this, that you're not beyond God's love. Even as a Christian, you might be here today and you know, you'll be like, oh, here we go again. I'm going to go to church and leave the same. I'm going to go home back to my own routine. And God says, no, I want to change everything. Nothing's too hard. I'm the Savior of the world. Now, the interesting thing about being the Savior of the world is that Jesus saves us from the power and penalty of sin both now and forever. Remember Matthew 121, it says, And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what he saves us from. The penalty of sin, which is hell, and the power of sin, which is hell on earth. And that's why I really like the scripture. Let's go over to Isaiah 43. Because I think sometimes people think, well, God's my Savior, and that means when I die, I'm going to heaven. And, and true, you know, that's probably the primary aspect of it. That's a large part of it. But that's not all of it. In Isaiah chapter 43, look what it says in verse 1. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Now, is he addressing two different nations? No, huh? Because Jacob and Israel are the same thing. I mean, they're the same nation. And so you might wonder, well, then why does God, you know, call him Jacob and Israel? And the reason is because that the nation of Israel is a lot like us. They were a lot like us. You know, sometimes, no offense, but some of us can be like knuckleheads, right? And we can be like Jacobs, manipulators, connivers, heel catchers in the flesh, not doing things right. We can have those days, those moments. And then there are those times where that very same person can be such an Israel, governed by God. What a beautiful write-on Christian. Some of you here are Dr. Jekylls and Mr. Hydes, right? Some of us here. And I don't say that lightly. May God give us the power to be consistent Christians. But the reality of it is, if, if you deny that, then you're a liar. We fail. But God still loves you. God says, hey, I'm talking to you, Jacob. I'm talking to you, Israel. Yes, I'm talking to you. Look what he says. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Notice your Savior. <laughs> and so I just want to make sure that we know that since we have a Savior, it's not just something that we wait until we die that kicks in. It's something that we, we can hold on to now. And, and as you're going through the, the flood, many of you here, you're, you're going through tremendous trials. God wants, first of all, to communicate to you that as your Savior, He is with you. And secondly, as you're going through that, that same flood, that the, the waters, you know, they're, they're never going to be too high. Have you ever seen those movies where the water's rising, rising, and they're in this compartment, who knows where it is, and they're like right there. God says, I will ne it'll never be too high. As a matter of fact, I want you to know that when you're in the fire, 
I mean, I'm telling you this, man. You will not be burned. Nothing on your body, no hair. I'm going to take care of you. Why? Because I am your Savior. And see, back in John, as we begin to discover who the Lord is, then I begin to discover who I am called to be. And I've been a Christian now for 20-something years. I've been blessed and very privileged to be in the ministry. But as I'm going through First John, I'm learning for the first time in my life. I'm learning things that this calling as a Christian is so much more than I would have ever thought. That just as God loves me, and I begin to discover that love, God is calling me to go out and to love others. And I think that a lot of times we as Christians fail to understand that. See, in order to come to the Lord, we see what God has done and that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. But we have our part too. Look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And so God does His part. We have to do our part. Most of you here today are Christians, and I thank God for that. I'm so blessed to know that God lives in you, that you live in God, that the Holy Spirit resides in you, that you are free, that you are forgiven, that you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, that you are white as snow, that you are his bride, that you are his child, that one day we're going to be home in heaven. I am so grateful to God for that. But then some of you here, you're not. You're not a Christian. And you're wondering, well, how? How can I become a Christian? Well, he says right here to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, and, and what we find is as we study the scriptures, we get the complete message of confession. You want to become a Christian? Here's a few things to think about. Number one, you got to confess your sins. you got to confess your sins. Maybe you're hooked on crystal meth. And you just don't want to stop. Maybe you're living in sexual sin. You're not married. you got to confess those sins. You can't become a Christian. You can't until you repent. you got to repent. you got to repent of your sins. you got to confess your sins. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 talks about confessing our sins. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. We need to confess our sins. This is sin, Lord. This separates me from you. And Lord, help me. Lord, I, I want to release this, right? Number two, we need to confess Jesus before men. The Bible says in Matthew 10, 32, Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. And so I go to your job and I start talking to your coworkers and I say, hey, do you know Freddie? Oh yeah, I know Freddie, he's a cool guy, yeah. Is he a Christian? Christian? No, nah, not even, man. He tells all the best jokes. What do you mean by best jokes? Not really a Christian. He's an undercover Christian, huh? wonder why. Why is he going to church? Sometimes guys will come to church, believe it or not, to look for girls. Why are you really here? See, you've got to confess Christ before men. And that means that you've got to be bold about it. And if you're ashamed of Jesus, then he will be ashamed of you. See, there has to be this confession of sin. There has to be a confession of Jesus before men. Number three, we need to confess Jesus as Lord. The Bible says in Philippians 2 verse 11 that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ 
as Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what that means is that, man, from this point forward, tell you what, I don't call the shots, I don't drive, he does. I've surrendered my life. And the one that does not want to surrender his life is the one that does not have a saved life. Jesus is Lord. And then number four, this confession contains a creed. We read it in Romans 10 verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And so it's this whole gospel message, knowing Jesus died for you, was put in a grave and rose again on the third day. See, these are things that we confess in order to be Christians. Second John verse 7 says we've got to confess he's come in the, in the flesh. And then here in 1 John chapter 4 verse 15, we need to confess that not only his humanity, but also his deity, that Jesus is God. We need to agree with God about who we are, about who he is, about what he did on the cross. And we need to do this accurately, publicly, wholeheartedly, and unashamedly. And so we read in verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And so, again, so much here. But if I could just kind of like keep you guys on this, on this road, going this direction. Some of you here are not Christians, becoming Christians. Some of you here as Christians, becoming the Christians that you need to be. We find, as John is saying, it begins, first of all, with an understanding of the love of God. It's so cool when you get a grip on God's grace and you trust in Christ and you really trust in his cross, the expression of love. And then what ends up happening for us as Christians is that that love begins to work in us and through us so much so that our lives are really radically changed. And when our lives are changed, what ends up happening is our lives are changed for good. We start living like Jesus. And when we're living like Jesus, then what the Bible says is that we have this boldness. We actually have this confidence about that day when we stand before God and we give an account. Again, look at verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. And so it's a challenge for me. I don't know about you. I know some of you here, you're much better Christians than I am. There's no doubt about it. But for me, I, I don't know about you, it's a real challenge. God is just saying, Manny, I'm not going to let you off easy. I, I want you to be my son, and I want you to be like my son. And this is for, you know, information. This is for transformation. It's this calling in your life. Remember what we read in 1 John chapter 2? Look there, you guys, in verse 6. He who says he abides in him 
Okay, in other words, he who says he's a Christian. Raise your hand if you, if you think you're a Christian. You say you're a Christian? Okay. He who says he's a Christian, it says in verse 6, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. You see that? And so it's not just like, hey, cool, man, you can accept him as your Savior, but not your Lord. No, you got to have both, and you got to have a really radical life so that we can walk as he walked, we can act as he acted, live as he lived, so that on the day, now think about that, the judgment day, for some it's Revelation 20, 11 through 15, for those of you who will not humble yourself, for those of you out there who will not let go of your sin because you love your darkness, for those of you there who don't know the Lord and you're not willing to turn and trust, then you're going to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. See, that's a crazy day. For us, we're going to stand before him at the Bema seat. But either way, I don't know how it's going to work, but if you can visualize yourself, you're in line and you're getting ready to stand before God. Think about that. You know, and the line gets shorter and shorter. Next thing you know, you know you're the next one and you're going to stand before God now and give an account of your life. And so what he says is that when you live like the Lord, when you walk as he walked, then on that day, you are going to have boldness. Now, when I think of that, I, I'll be honest with you, uh, this is where I'm at. I think this is where I'm at right now, and I'm going to confess to you guys, and you can kick me out if you want, but I'm just going to tell you this, man. I have a peace. I have a peace. I believe that when I stand before God, I'm, I'm good. I, I know I know Him. I know I love Him. I know He loves me. You know, I have a peace. But I don't know if I have a boldness. I don't know if I have this confidence like, man, I'm good. Why? Because I have so much growing to do. Especially in this area of love. Because for men... I don't know, a lot of you guys, especially you older guys, you're better at this. But men are selfish by nature. You know, men, and, and you know, it's hard. You know, because we're talking about love, and we're really working on this thing. And, you know, what is love? And um, I know it's a lot. I know that, number one, i got to love God. i got to love God, and that manifests itself by living a general life of obedience obedience to him that's how i i show i love god but one of his greatest commandments is to love others and so right there loving god loving others but here here's something for you guys okay here it is who who do you love who do you love i love the guys oh you love the guys huh yeah because we go bowling together and they never said a bad word to me they never never checked me they're real cool guys yeah well, you want to know something? This is what I think. We've got to love God. And right after our love for God, which is manifested in obedience to God, you've got to love your family. Sometimes we love others more than we love our family. This is why our nation is the way it is. Husbands aren't loving their wives. Wives aren't loving their husbands. And parents aren't loving their children. Children aren't loving their parents. Sometimes we love others more than we love our family, but that's our priority. See, I'm learning, I'm beginning to learn how life really works, especially for me as a pastor, because you've got a lot of people that, 
you know, are, are going through a lot of things. It's very easy for someone like me to say, you know what, sorry, honey, sorry, Ariel, sorry, Aaron, I've got a church, you know, to take care of. And, you know, th there are those times where they make those sacrifices, but what good would it do if I love everybody else, but I didn't love my family? And I'm beginning to really understand the way that things line up. Love God by obeying Him. Love your family. And then love others. The ones that God is laying on your heart and the way that He's calling you to love them. And it's hard, you know, like, how do I love my family? But man, you don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. I know I don't know them. My heart goes out to you. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm just trying to go against the grain of who I am. You know, what happened yesterday was I, I messed up because my wife buys different lemonades, and, and I opened the wrong one, and it turned out I found out that I really messed up because she really wanted strawberry lemonade. She really did from Fresh and Easy, organic strawberry lemonade. And so, you know, I was like, Lord, how do I love her? How do I love her? And the Lord's all, buy her some strawberry lemonade, man, from Fresh and Easy. I'm all, yeah, you know, that's by nature. That's not something that, you know, I normally do to my shame. And then my daughter's there, too. How do I love my daughter? Oh, she likes the Frappuccinos from Starbucks, right? Not the coffee ones, but the cold ones. And I'm all, okay, cool. You know, and I know that, that that's like nothing. I know it's nothing. But, you know, in all honesty, a lot of husbands don't know what their wife needs. They don't know what their wife wants. Because they don't care, and they don't love. And sometimes, man, it's those little things. When you begin to learn to go against the grain of who you are, that we begin to understand what this really means. Oh, I'm waiting for them to love me. Oh, you are? Then let me tell you something. You are not like God. See? And all I know, man, in going through this right here is that it's this whole thing in which God is trying to bring us to this place. You know, interesting. Look at verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. How are you doing? Are you a lover? Well, I think this helps us to understand the principle of verse 19. You know, not only is it an order of events, a chronological order. But I think it's also a chronological truth with a proportional truth. And the truth is, how much I love God will always be proportionate to the way I answer this question. How much does God love me? How much does God love you? Are you in tune with that? You know, usually if a person believes God has had it with them, God is frustrated with them, God is done with them. God's not really interested in them. God doesn't watch over them. God doesn't take care of them. God's kind of, you know, neglected them. If God's love toward them is tweaked or weak in any way, then what ends up happening just by nature is that person who has believed such a lie will then be unable to love God the way that they should. Because this truth is not just a, a you know, a chronological truth. It's a proportional truth. But here it is. If I believe and receive what the Bible says about God's love towards me, not in light of me, but in spite of me, that I'm his child, created in his image, I'm the apple of his eye. He knows all the hairs of my head. He knows all the, 
thoughts of my heart, all the tears, all the years, every one of them kept and counted by my Creator. If I believe and receive what the Bible says, that God loves me, God loves me, yes, God loves me with an unending, unchanging, undying love that never, ever, ever fails, a love that reaches me when I'm at my worst, in my uttermost, in my guttermost, then and only then will I begin to love Him the way that I should and begin to love others the way that God's called me to. That's why we read this. John's saying you got to know the Lord and when you know the Lord, it's so cool when it ends up happening, things begin to get stirred up and you begin to understand how important love is. And that's why I like this letter because he just keeps saying it over and over and over again. And you're like, Manny, didn't you do this lesson last week? Yeah, but don't blame it on me. It's John's fault, okay? And don't blame it on John because he was just led by the Holy Spirit. And not only that, if you were here last week, because some of you here weren't sinners, right? Some of you here weren't here last week, right? I'm just joking, okay? All right. Um, let me ask you a question. How's your love life? You were here last week. Cool, I'm proud of you. You get 10 points, all right? How's your love life? How are you doing? How are we doing in this relationship with the Lord? We close in verse 20. Look what he says. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is what? A liar. Okay, he said it, man. I love you, Lord, but I hate him. You are a liar, okay? For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. You guys know the Bible pretty good, right? Because you guys are Sunday 12 o'clockers, right? Okay, let me ask you a question. How do you show your faith, according to James? By your works, right? I thought you were. Anyways, um, how do you show your love for God? Two things. Obedience and loving others. Part of obedience. You love God? You love God? I go to church. Cool. And that's part of obedience. But you know, loving others. Oh, I sing this song. Well, real good. You got a real nice voice. I noticed that. I noticed the way you lift your hands. Proud of you. You love God. Then, then you better love others. How does love manifest itself? You know what? I, I will say that, because a lot of times people will run to, oh, well, you know, um, tough love, and, and, you know, love isn't always giving them what they want. Yeah, it's true. But I'll tell you what, I don't care what you say. You can tell when a person really loves somebody. You can just tell. And you can tell when they don't. So don't try to fool them, and don't try to fool yourself. Don't try, because you can't. Either it's there or it's not. And a lot of times, I just think bottom line is, it's not. And that is why you are in the trouble that you're in. Because you have not loved the way God's called you to. And so you can get mad at me. You can say, okay, I'm mad at you. And you can leave. Or you can say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me change my life. 
It doesn't matter if you sing or say, I love you, God, a million times. John says, listen, if you hate your brother, you're a liar. And he says that partially for identification, but I think primarily for transformation, you guys, that we got to start loving God by obeying his commandment, primarily to love others. Now, I don't know if this is challenging you, but I know it's been very challenging for me. And at the same time, it's been a tremendous blessing. And so let's not kick against the goads. Because what happens when you kick against the goads? You get some bloody feet, man. God loves you so much, he's not going to give up on you. He's going to keep chasing you until you're broken, until you're surrendered. And so I pray. It would be so cool, man. Wouldn't it be cool? You know, because all the news stories nowadays. Have you guys seen those news stories where they have these, like, apparitions? Apparitions of, I don't know, Mary. Oh, they go on the, they see her in the tortilla or something, you know. They, different apparitions of God, you know. And it's like, man, you know, that's not God, dude. God's not going to come in a tortilla, okay? But eyewitness news will go there. I just thought, wouldn't it be cool if God did such a tremendous work in every single one of our lives? And it's not too hard for God if we let him. But if God did such a tremendous work of love in our lives, Eyewitness News says, hey, man, there's something going on over there. We see God. We see God. See, because that's what the Lord wants. Father, we thank you uh, for allowing us, Lord, to study your word. And, and you don't make it easy uh, in one sense, but I know in a, in a very real sense you do because you live in us. And Lord, I pray um, that your Holy Spirit would have full reign and complete control over our lives so that, Lord, when we stand before you one day on that judgment day, whether it's the Bema seed, or I pray none here would be the great white throne, but, Lord, when we stand before you, that we would have this boldness, we'd have this confidence, because we live the life, knowing now more what that life is. It's not a life of religion. It's not a, li a life of, of, of legal rules and regulations that it really is a life of love. I pray, Lord, you do a work in your church. And God, I just ask that if there are any here today who don't know you, who aren't Christians, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you want to become a Christian, you want to confess your sins and confess Christ, and you know you need to, don't let the devil stop you. Just come as you are. Be willing to let go of the sin. Just pray this prayer with me in your heart. Say, Dear Lord, I come to you today and I admit I have sinned. But I turn from my sin and I trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live life Christian from this day forward in Jesus name Amen We hope you were encouraged by this study If you have any questions please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte 
at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.